Welcome to season two of Deconstructing the Myth, a podcast for those deconstructing American evangelical Christianity. This season, I, Elizabeth Mall, and Jenny White will dive into the theology and history behind confusing and controversial Bible passages. We hope to be a resource for you on your journey, no matter where you come from or where you land. Well, good morning, Jenny. Hello, good morning. How are you doing this morning? I am good, and I'm excited to be talking about head coverings today, Mm. which is funny, though, because I thought this would be a much lighter topic than Mm -hmm. what we've been discussing. You know, genocide and Sodom and Gomorrah were our first two topics, but... There is so much here, actually. There is so much here to go over. It's going to be about gender as well and Paul's view of women, so there's a lot that I think people are going to find really interesting. But first off, let's start with our new Bible game, Is It the Bible? And how it works is I ask you, is it the Bible or is it something else? And this week's theme is, is it the Bible or is it Taylor Swift lyrics? Okay. Um, I was kind of stumped by some of these and I've listened to a lot of Taylor Swift songs. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see if you're as stumped as me. I, I'm not an expert. I love her, but I'm not an expert, so I could be stumped. Okay, so to start with, here's a lyric, or is it a Bible verse? It says, I weep buckets of tears and not a soul for miles around cares. Mm. Bible or Taylor Swift? This is hard because it's. I feel like if it's a, from the Bible, it's like from the message or something, and I don't listen. Like So like, yeah, I think this is in Lamentations, but I don't know. I'm saying Bible, but I think it's from the message, and I don't read that version you very often. Correct. Woo! You are correct. And at least some of these are from the message because I had the same reaction as you after I looked them up. I thought, where in the Bible do they talk like this? So I'm going to have to think about themes because I'm not going to recognize a verse. Okay. Yeah, that's that's maybe a good idea. Okay, for our next one. Have you ever seen anything like this? Ever seen pain like my pain? Seen what he did to me? Mm. That also sounds like the Bible, but it also sounds like Taylor Swift. Oh my gosh. Okay. <sighs> because it says sees what he did to me i'm gonna say taylor okay it's actually the bible oh! but this is the one <laughs> this is the one i had to look up because i thought the bible does not say see what he did to me but you know what it is the message and they're talking about god <laughs> in that verse they like chopped off part of the verse so it's uh. jeremiah saying see what god did to me it's, but it, that's how he renders it. Okay, so, okay. Anyway, if anyone's having trouble getting into the Bible, um, and, but you do love Taylor Swift, maybe. There's a lot of correlation. Apparently, in the message, <laughs> there is. Okay. Long were the nights when my days once revolved around you. That's got to be Taylor. It is Taylor. It is Taylor. Yes. I was like, revolved. Why would that be? It has to be. It has to be. You are correct. Okay. I gave up on life altogether. I've forgotten what the good life is like. This sounds like Job. Okay, I'm saying Bible. Oh, you are correct. Yes. But it's Lamentations. Ah. I'm sorry I'm disappointed. I tried this on my husband, and he got them all right, and I was so mad. <laughs> and I was like, this is actually kind of cool. Like, good for him. But I think I was so upset he got them He's right. He's probably not as obsessed with Taylor, so maybe he has a clearer view. I don't know. I don't know. But... You were correct, but it's from Lamentations. Mm. All of the Bible references would be from Lamentations. That makes sense. So so our next one is, the time will come for us to finally win, and we'll sing hallelujah, we'll sing hallelujah. Taylor, 100%. 
Wow. No hesitation. You are correct. Although I did not think you would think Taylor says that. Yes, she does. I, is it, what it's song? Is it Change? Yes, because these things, like, something about things will change. That's all I know. But then we'll, like, rise up and we'll show them. <laughs> yes. That's, yes, you are correct. Okay. And then our last one. O, O, O. Three words. Okay. Obviously, <laughs> I expect the right answer. This is from both. Obviously. <laughs> There's no stumping you. It is from both. <laughs> it is from both. It's like either Jeremiah in Lamentation being depressed or Taylor going, oh, oh, oh. You know, so, yeah. Jenny, you did excellent this round. Thank you. I'm Thank you. Impressed. Here we go. Let's get into it. Head covering. So this is based on a specific passage. Could you read that for us? Yes. So that we can just dive in. Yes, absolutely. So this is from 1 Corinthians 11, 2 through 16, and I'm taking this from the ESV version. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. That was long. That was a lot. Mm. That was long. But, you know, I'm actually really glad that this is the passage we're studying because I, like I said, when I first saw it, I was like, okay, that'll take about five Mm -hmm. minutes. And as you're reading it, I was like, I have not heard this preached from a pulpit since I really started deconstructing the last few years. And I literally, I'm having like a physical reaction to some of these. I'm like, like, and it's just, it's just interesting because the last time I've heard this, I have heard this preaching sure. churches and I just was kind of like, mm, okay, weird. So it's just kind of interesting to see the differences in myself as you're reading it. So the initial question though, before we get into some of the history yes. and the inner workings of the culture, mm-hmm. I saw this when I was just starting my search, someone on a random site that I would not really cite as a resource, mm-hmm. summed up the real question that I think a lot of people who are deconstructing are going to have, which is, why do so many Christians not wear head coverings even though the Bible says they should? Yes. This is, I should say, this is like the first question. There are so many other questions that I have. This now, passage is loaded. 
I wanted to just start by addressing that first question, though. Why are Christians not wearing head coverings? Is this just another sign that Christians as a whole pick and choose Mm -hmm. whatever? You know, that's something a lot of people will say. Even some Christians will say that. Like, don't pick and choose what you're going to follow. Mm -hmm. But I would argue this this particular question subtly begs the question because it assumes that the Bible actually says all Christian women should wear head coverings for all time. Mm -hmm. When in fact, Paul was writing to a specific audience in the Corinthian letter. And as with so many other difficult passages in the Bible, the real difficulty lies not so much in the incorrectly contextualizing and even interpreting the passage, even though we're going to try and get into that, Mm -hmm. but it actually, the, the problem lies in our application of the passage yes because i think there's this misunderstanding that if you read a command anywhere in the bible it is meant for you in this exact moment Mm -hmm. and even most christians would say that's not true because most christians don't follow every single old testament law because we think there are different ways we're supposed to look at things in different periods of history now that jesus has come and everything so that initial question it's it's not a question that's going to help us get very far Mm -hmm. i think Um, because we have to argue about whether or not this is even applicable to us for today. But that's just my thoughts on that initial question. Do you have any thoughts on that initial question? Yes. I don't remember exactly where I heard this, but it was someone is talking about, uh, I even think it was one of the Pauline letters just talking about Paul's specific instructions to different people and what that looks like and how we interpret it today Mm -hmm. and how Christians sometimes have this like laser focus on a certain command or a certain thing without looking at the rest of what, in this case, what Paul says. So Hmm. this kind of relates actually, uh, but the example was Paul says women should not speak in church, but then in multiple instances, Hmm. he talks about women speaking in church or speaking in a spiritual, in a spiritual role. And so we have to say, Hmm. okay, Paul said this one thing and this has become a huge issue for a lot of evangelicals today, but you look at the rest of scripture and how Paul actually interacts with women. And clearly he couldn't have meant that because he lists women who are working for the church, women who are preaching, women who lead house churches. And so it's almost like a little in the same way. I kind of feel like people have latched onto this, but they don't look at the whole of how Paul talks about women in all these other instances. And so That was really interesting to me, especially not only the head covering part, but the whole men are the head of women and that thing, which makes me just like, I just can't even. Cringe. Like, I cannot (laughs) even. Yes. Yes. Well, why don't you give us a little bit of the history that you you found behind this passage, behind the culture of the Mm -hmm. time, behind maybe where Paul's coming from, because... I'm not, like, the biggest fan of Paul. I, <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. lie. I don't... I don't know. <laughs> I would anyway. love to unpack yes. that with you at another... I actually don't have an opinion. Yes. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we will. For some other time. Yes. But yes. Let's dive into the history. Um, so, uh, Christian head covering is a traditional practice of women covering their heads in a variety of Christian denominations. And I think a lot of this... A lot of us are probably familiar with the kind of older depictions of women covering their heads, either culturally or when they're in a church. Because it's not a foreign concept Mm. to most of us. And some Christian women, based on historic teaching, will wear head, still to this day, wear head coverings in public. 
or wear them when they're entering a church or during worship and prayer time. So some Christian women, based on historic teaching, do wear head coverings still to this day. Some will wear them at, at prayer or at home or when they enter a church building. And of those women who choose to wear head coverings in Christian denominations, I kind of just compiled a list uh, to show you how widespread it is. And so there's Oriental Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, Catholic, Lutheran, Moravian, Reformed, Anglican, Methodist, and Baptist. So there are a lot of different subsets. And of course, I think in all of these denominations, you will also see women not wearing head coverings, but it's just still a thing that happens. There are other denominations like the Anabaptists, Mennonites, and Amish who believe that women should wear their head coverings at all times. So that's a current snapshot of how we see head coverings being used in the Christian religion. Going back in history, women also often wore head coverings uh, centuries before the birth of Christ. In the Old Testament, there are examples uh, that we read where women have their head covered. Uh, That was an acceptable practice for the Israelites. In the New Testament, it was also common for women to cover their heads culturally and also, I think, for religious reasons. So there are certain social customs that in Corinth when Paul was writing this passage and it says hats or head coverings. And I got this from Mark Mosco's uh, website, which is a really great resource for a lot of these tricky passages. But she says hats or head coverings on either men or women, as well as short or long hair on either men or women have no real significance in modern societies today, but it was different in ancient Corinth. For example, some respectable Roman matrons, uh, such as like wives of freeborn citizens, uh, covered their heads when they went out of doors to publicly signify that they were unavailable and sexually chaste. So it was more like a protection for them to show hmm. my husband has status. So these women wouldn't okay. usually wear veils when they were with family or close friends because they didn't need that symbol of protection. Lower class women, on the other hand, were not permitted by law to wear veils. So if you were lower class, if you were a slave... You couldn't wear a veil. Uh, that made you much more vulnerable when you were going out. Interesting. So the veil, especially the pala, was a status symbol in ancient Rome and in the Roman colonies. So when you're talking about a symbol that protects them, mm-hmm. you know what that sounds like to me is our modern purity culture idea of what the way you dress protects you. Do you okay. think that's what is going on or was there something different? I definitely think not because it it was just, it wasn't a symbol. It wasn't saying, Oh, I'm protected because I'm not tempting you by my hair. It was, I have a veil on and that means that I have a protector. So if you harm me, there'll be repercussions to you. Whereas if you're a slave or you're poor or you didn't have these protections, you couldn't wear a veil, which means kind of you're out, you're on your own. And no one is going to care that much if something bad happens to you. Okay, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. I wonder if there's any correlation to how we've taken that into modern times with modesty. I don't know, though, because modesty is really based on trying to not cause anyone to lust. So so maybe there isn't, but yeah. that's just really interesting. Yeah. So we what we established is that in Corinth, Wealthier women would wear head coverings as a sign of protection, but it wasn't necessarily, they weren't worn in their homes or around close friends, and certainly not every woman would cover her head. So going from that time, just historically, women have been covering their heads in public and in church 
throughout the centuries, especially in Europe and the United States, and even until the mid-1800s, actually, it was quite common for women to have a head covering. But this gradually became more likely due to uh, fashion than because there was some theological reasoning behind it. And as time went on, women maybe would wear hats only when they entered a church, which I think was even even common in the 1960s. Like you would wear a hat when you went to church and a man would not wear a hat when they went into church. And I even remember being taught that, that women can wear hats in church, but men can't. And I didn't ever know why or anything about mm. it. But gradually in Western society, women no longer will wear hats in church typically. And of course, we don't wear them in public either. Hmm. But I kind of went back to the history to see what did the early church fathers or what did the early church think about women and head coverings? Yeah. So St. John Chrysostom, who uh, died in 407 and was the Archbishop of Constantinople. He was a very popular writer and a great theologian. And a lot of people still read his writings and talk about him today. And he says, quote, the angels are present here. Open the eyes of faith and look upon this sight. For if the very air is filled with angels, how much more so the church? Hear the apostle teaching this when he bids the women to cover their heads with a veil because of the presence of angels. I, I don't know exactly that honestly confused me a little bit, but for the sake of saying he obviously thought that women should cover their heads. I don't really understand uh, yeah. For the sake of the angels, maybe you'll have more on that in your theology section. I but... wonder if this is, because it's kind of interesting thinking about how men are not to have their heads covered. How often, mm-hmm. I mean, I remember growing up seeing my dad take take his hat off as a sign of kind of right. like respect or reverence. Respect, so I wonder, that's what I always thought it was respect, yeah. Maybe that's a little more what they're getting at instead mm-hmm. of kind of the a sign of authority on her head thing. I don't know. Right, right. I grabbed another quote from St. Cyril of Alexandria. Uh, He died in 444. He was the patriarch of Alexandria. And he says, The angels find it extremely hard to bear this law, that women cover their heads, if it is disregarded. So Hmm. he's reiterating women should cover their heads. So that's Hmm. kind of two quotes from the very, very early church. I jumped ahead quite a bit and also grabbed a few quotes from more contemporary Protestant theologians, such as John Knox, John Calvin, William Barclay, and R.C. Sproul also affirm the teaching that women should wear head coverings in church. And they also often will link this to head coverings as a symbol of women's subordination to men, which mm. is another sticky subject that we can yeah. maybe also transition into a little bit. So That's perfect. That's the perfect transition because theologically looking at this entire passage, I thought okay there are definitely at least two more questions behind the initial question of why don't we wear these anymore mm-hmm. and i think the two maybe even bigger questions that are kind of current to our culture right now are okay what is this saying about women's role in marriage and women's um rank mm-hmm. Because I think that's something that definitely was taught to me, that there's kind of a rank. And we're equal, but you still need to have this someone in charge, it's, someone it's hard. It's like, this always makes me think of civil rights in the, in like, yeah. in the sense where it's like, well, equal but different. You're equal, but dif- but it's but it's separate. 
and mm. how the Supreme Court ruled there's no such thing as separate but equal. That's unha- inherently unequal. And mm. two very different things. Uh, I'm not trying to make a statement on either one of them, but I just, that always comes to mind is that yeah. you can't actually be separate but equal. It doesn't exist. So you That's can't really say men and women are equal, but men can make the final authority. They, they have the final authority on everything, but they're still equal. Like you can't, you know, this is... those things don't mesh. What's fascinating to me is that especially in churches we see women really being told you are not to preach you are not to do this you are not to do that even under dire circumstances i remember in season one amanda was telling us how they were short on communion servers in her particular church they were short they were they were every sunday saying we need volunteers and she volunteered Mm -hmm. she said i would love to and and she was told over my dead body will you serve communion at this church? And she's like, really? Like not even an exception for the fact that you have no one to do this, you know? Um, And And I wonder why you have no one to do this because you sound so (laughs) likable. But anyway. Interesting, right? But also the fascinating thing is when the tables are turned, if there's not a Sunday school teacher that's a woman available, I wonder, at least in some of my own experiences, I have seen Mm -hmm. That it's okay though for a man to take the women's roles. It's okay for well, a man it's to not be that at home. a man couldn't do that. There's really mm-hmm. it's like men can do all the things, but they're different, of course. The only thing a man can't do is actually have a baby. Is kind of mm. like, but anything Sorry. else a man can do, and women just can't do things that men can do though. So yeah. it's very one sided. It's, and it's I just get... interesting. It's funny, too, because we are, I always, I was kind of, like, hoping this season will be, like, okay, Jenny's going to be more, you know, theologically conservative, and I'm going to be more theologically liberal. And honestly, I'm, like, in a lot of ways, we're not that. (laughs) Like, we are, which is kind of neat to see. (laughs) People can be all over the spectrum, you know? Yes. Regardless. I mean, from issue to issue. And on this, I think we're very much aligned. There's so many problems with it because like you said, it does really tie into the separate but equal concept, especially when a man is able to, under certain circumstances, do all the things, but a woman is told under no circumstances are you to do some of the things. I just think that's yes, really this interesting. Is, through most of the the topics we're going to cover, I think I'm, I will be hesitant to say firmly that I have a really strong stance, but I strongly believe in gender equality in society at large and even and in marriage uh yeah. i do take a very strong stance for that so that's my yeah. bias and to be that's my bias very that's clear. my bias too currently so mm-hmm. <laughs> but i always joke like ask me next week because i know <laughs> my ideas change so often so you know um... you never want to you never want to be so proud or so sure that you won't entertain other ideas or that you yeah. won't, you know i think that's important too so <clears throat> So anyway, that's the first big issue. And then the second issue, I think, is genders and gender rules and what genders need to look like. This is, of course, a hot topic right now because of LGBTQ+, especially when it comes to the transgender discussion. So we'll kind of get into that just briefly um, Mm -hmm. as to how this passage might relate to that. I'm not going to say apply, as you all know that... Well, if you've listened to um, our Sodom and Gomorrah episode, you'll know mm-hmm. we were both a little hesitant to apply everything quickly to our current cultural setting. But I do think mm-hmm. it does relate in some ways. So to start off with, I found an interesting website. It's called headcoveringmovement.com. And it's a group of people who, did you see it? They're trying to kind of bring back mm-hmm. head coverings, not saying everyone I... needs to do this at all times. 
mm-hmm. but sort of as a way to redirect the cultural movement away from how we look at females and males, women and men. So I mean, that's interesting you ran across that. Did you draw anything from their page? I read a little bit of it. And honestly, I was like, I'm trying to be like open to these things. And I think just because I just, I kind of hesitate to use the word triggered, but it was a little triggering. I <laughs> kind of went back to, because I, in, in parts of my experience years ago, I was taught this subordination of women and all these things. And it just brought all those feelings back up Mm. uh, that were hard. So I didn't really spend a lot of time looking at it to just to be fair. I have spent many hours and years working through this. Yeah. So I'm, I'm somewhat familiar, but I don't know the exact specifics of all the reasons that they had. Well, I will just say, I'm going to just read part of what they said, because I think it's very telling Mm -hmm. of why people who do kind of make a big deal of it do in our modern Mm -hmm. setting. So they wrote, in our world today, there is so much gender and role confusion. The head covering symbol visually reminds us of the basic fundamental truth about our gender and roles, our authentic biological selves. I hate all of that. (laughs) I just can barely, I can barely handle it. Okay, please continue. Please continue. (laughs) Our undeniable gender reality as opposed to a false gender identity based on fantasy the head covering symbolizes a principle about how men and women were meant to function within the created order and that principle if we choose to apply it can help provide stability in a culture painfully confused and chaotically directionless there is an urgent need to clearly and compassionately share with our culture what biblical manhood and womanhood mean okay let me just vomit (laughs) saucy jenny saucy, <laughs> i know collected, i can't I, and yet here we are <laughs> this is a hot button topic i fully admit it i am not i try to be right ra- i'm trying to be rational but clearly i am struggling so please continue <laughs> so at the end of everything i said about about what they believe needs to happen culturally they say the practice mm-hmm. of head covering can help us do that can help us reclaim culture and so you know it's it's interesting. I think reading that, though, I realized it's much bigger than the question of, well, why don't Christians do this anymore? Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe we should. Mm-hmm. The Bible says so. People that do want to still do this often. This is just one source, but often. Yes. It's because of trying to make other cultural and theological statements. And I think, you know, yes. that's not to say that there are people who don't do it, but I just, I think that's important to bring up. So mm-hmm. let's first talk about the authority issue. Submission, sexism, and head coverings. How does it all come into play? So in one of the articles I read, it says Paul discusses sexual expression within marriage in terms of authority. In 1 Corinthians 7, 3, we read a husband must yield to his wife the loving affection that is proper and due, and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have authority over her own body, but her husband. And in the same way, a husband does not have authority over his own body. Rather, it is his wife who rules. So... Mm. A wife having authority over her head, which is kind of in, which is in the passage we're discussing. um, Mm -hmm. It's kind of confirmed looking at the context. Her head is thought to be her husband. And this particular person said, this is an affirmation of the unity and equality of spouses in in marriage state. Within the state Mm -hmm. of matrimony, such equilibrium is necessary if the couple is to achieve their salvific meaning of their union in christ which is interesting that he kind of put a word that has to do with salvation in here um yeah 
But so he's kind of tying these two thoughts together. This does very clearly, I think, show some of how Paul is viewing the wife-husband dynamic. And even though Mm -hmm. the chapter 7 verse about them having authority over each other's body seems to kind of indicate a more equal stance, Mm -hmm. my question is, is having authority over each other's body really a good idea in the sense that like I've heard some friends who've gone to mm-hmm. therapy and I'm not saying therapists know everything but it was told part of your problem is you think you own each other and you mm-hmm. don't you're still individual people you still have you know consent and all these things and yeah. and I know that um that's a problem that's been a problem marital rape is a thing that happens and yes. some of it can be i think derived from some of this um yeah i think so, if you have that this gives this interpretation validates that and makes you think oh i this is within my rights as a husband yeah. or typically a husband not always but typically yeah. it would be a husband i think that the purpose of that is mutuality so mm you know, take both into consideration. That's how I see that verse. I know there could be a lot, a lot more could be said, but yeah. that's and I think how the I trick, see it. Well, and I think that word authority is what's tricky. And it would have been, you know, to do a real deep dive in the word would be something helpful. Mm-hmm. And I did not do that for this um, because it's like, well, what did he mean authority? What did he mean? Right. Like, what does that exactly entail? Some Christians do say that this is a sore misinterpretation because, mm-hmm. because of the word authority. Um, and in part because especially the, the passage I read about them having authority over each other's body, Mm -hmm. um, is not exactly talking about having free reign to just do whatever you want with the other person's body. This, one of my sources said, because husband and wife become one flesh in marriage, the husband surrenders the rights over his body to his wife and the wife surrenders the rights over her body. Each has authority. We already have said that. We've already said how that's problematic. Mm-hmm. But this author said, however, Paul does not mean an absolute authority or an absolute surrender. Remember, he's writing to believers who have accepted the false view that sexual relations are inherently and always bad or at right. least questionable. So he's not actually giving the spouse authority to demand sexual acts that are sinful, painful, or demeaning. Or saying that a spouse has an obligation to give in to such demands. Paul's point is that when spouses abstain from sex for illegitimate reasons, they are stealing from one another because their bodies belong to one another. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of interesting. He says Paul gives one legitimate reason for spouses to abstain temporarily from sexual activity, and it's for a special season of prayer. Again, because of the context, we cannot view this as the only legitimate reason for spouses to abstain. Using biblical wisdom, we recognize that there are other times, such as during illness, that married couples should abstain. I, so I know you're reading a quote, but I just want to reiterate to our listeners that you don't want to is a perfectly valid reason for not engaging in sexual activity. Hmm. Like, right. um, A lot of patriarchal thoughts on this or marriage and this whole idea that men need sex in a way women don't need sex. I categorically reject that and Mm. yeah it's like when he says well legitimate reasons for not having sex well you don't want to is as far as it needs to go Mm. now if you don't want to that's that means something right i'm getting off track here but i'm just saying um if your partner if you say i don't want to and your partner is pushing that means that they want to engage in something with you that you are not into which mm. they like if they if they're not loving you as themselves if you don't want that activity right now. 
And I think that part of marriage is, should be a healthy sex life where both partners uh, mutually come together and enjoy it. But there are a plethora of legitimate reasons yeah, and they don't need to be listed. And really it's, I don't want to. And for whatever reason. I think that's really important to put in there because I, when I was reading this, I took it a little bit of a different way. Mm, And I'm glad mm -hmm. you said that because I don't want people to mishear me. So the reason I thought this was maybe a little bit redeeming slightly Mm -hmm. of this passage is because I thought there may be a case where both partners do want to, but one of them thinks it's more honoring to God to not because they did have this kind of idea that, well, sex is inherently questionable or bad. And so if it really is that you both want to, one of you is trying to be kind of more pious and not, you know, he could be saying, no, don't. I think that, I mean, I think what you were saying, looking at it that way is true. It's saying these people thought we shouldn't have sex because th- that's bad. That's fleshly. And mm. Paul was saying, it's almost like he's saying, no, like you should, you should participate in a mutual sex life as much yeah. as you want, except for maybe if it's a time of fasting where you both are just devoting yourselves to prayer. Yeah. Not that that's the only reason not to, but... Yeah yeah don't put up barriers where there shouldn't be so it's he mm. we've taken it most people look at that from a totally different viewpoint as to where these are the only times you can say no to intercourse yeah. versus yeah you should be saying yes all the time for as much as you want except if you both are like we're gonna just take a, a period to pray and fast mm. yeah interesting yeah it's really interesting it almost is like the complete reversal of what it looks like when you first read it and so that's why i bet some of our listeners are like "Mm, i don't know know. and i don't know i have i mean these are just things we have found Mm -hmm. recently and so it it would take some more digging but again kind of with the application we have to remember this was for a group of people that paul knew at least a decent amount of information about them specifically so there's some of that that comes at play you know I also would like to say we have to remember Paul thought Jesus was coming back any day, literally Mm -hmm. any day. So I don't think his goal is so much as to change, you know, cultural norms, even within the church as Mm -hmm. just like, let's keep everything moving because Jesus is coming very soon to like, let's keep the machine moving and we'll be here for him. And a lot of Christians don't appreciate that view or don't agree with that view a lot of atheists don't agree with that view because that kind of ties into something i mentioned last season which is the redemptive movement hermeneutic but this Mm -hmm. idea of we got to look at our point in history and what are the rules and regulations that are needed for this exact moment at a very practical level so while i tend to really gravitate towards that sort of explanation for a lot of things i do feel like i can really see the atheist side or the skeptical side that rejects this sort of proposal because you know it it definitely lends itself at times in history and especially now in history christians are accused of this to believers not focusing on problems in the present or not addressing them fully in the present so in this instance paul did think jesus was coming very soon so his motivation I think it's safe to say, wasn't to drastically change society. And while that may be an explanation, you know, does that make it right? Does that make it the best course of action? I mean, he was wrong about Jesus coming back soon. So, you know, I don't know. It's it's important to realize that 
Christians have long been known for not addressing well things that are happening right here, right now. When it comes to science, when it comes to thinking about society, when it comes to human rights, things like that, Christians are often like, this is important, but not as important as these other things we're focusing on, as heaven, as saving souls. And then society looks at us and says, but this is happening now. You needed to address this now. So I just think that's important, you know, definitely from our Christian bias. When we strive to defend Paul, you know, sometimes it may not be right to defend him. And I don't know if this is one of the cases or not, but I just thought I'd bring that up. So the second issue is the gender norms issue that this brings up. So, in an article by Mark Array, Submission, Sexism, and Head Coverings, he says, Paul does not ultimately insist that women wear veils, nor does he preach the submission of women to men. In fact, there is no such insistence on any such particularly Jewish custom for this Gentile community or anywhere else. The confrontation of the new Jew- Jewish faith in Christ with pagan culture was difficult for sure, and morality was a chief concern. But we must look at these issues through their eyes and not perpetuate notions of static custom and practice that were, in fact, dynamic and evolving. He also says, though, Paul does not insist on veils as long as women appear like women. And that's, I mean, this is an interpretation, but it really got me thinking when it comes to the transgender discussion which is nothing new, but definitely is is something that's more out in the open and being talked about right now. It made me wonder what the Bible's role has been in creating the cultural atmosphere that lends itself to people feeling this big dissonance between their bodies and their identities as humans. You know, I... I'm not going to say all people would say, all trans people would say, well, it's a cultural phenomenon that's happened to me. I I don't think that would be accurate. I'm new to the discussion in many ways. But I just really wonder how has the Bible shaped our ideas about masculinity and femininity in a way that has actually made something that's far too narrow to capture actual humanity and something that's causing people to question, you know, if they're even in the right body. Do you think that it stems from passages like this? Or what do you think, Jenny? So just, I am very uneducated on this, but the culture at large does not necessarily agree with this, but I do kind of wonder, there's still this like women look this way, men present this way idea. Mm -hmm. That a lot of it, we can say this is just cultural because we look at other societies and other times in history and men and women look very different than they do now. So Mm -hmm. it isn't like women must always have long hair and men don't. When you look at a lot of like Middle Eastern countries or like Russia and men have had very long hair, you know, so it isn't like hair always denotes gender. If we just let people be people and not worry if the thing you're doing is masculine or feminine would a lot of this just disappear Mm. like i don't know i know some people feel like they're just in the wrong body like i know that's something that certain people experience so i'm not speaking to that i'm more talking about i guess the way christians look at it and um you're let's say you're a girl who really likes doing masculine things well Mm -hmm maybe you wouldn't necessarily 
question your body, but you are now because you don't feel like a woman. Well, what does that mean? Mm. However you feel is fine. Like, do what you want to do. Be who you want to be. Um, that's my But then, like, in this case, people would say, yeah. well, the long hair needed, they needed to be acting womanly, you know? I know. Which is so interesting. And I remember you talked a little bit about this when you talked about purity culture that it was, and, and we were talking about modesty at that mm-hmm. time, but it was the idea of we don't want to distract. Right. And so maybe right. this idea, Jesus is coming back very soon. So just kind of fit in. This is not the, like, this is not the time to make any sort of statement because we need to buckle down and get ready for Jesus coming back. Maybe that's kind of what was going on. Yeah. I don't know. I do. So I've read, there's a a wonderful book called the making of biblical womanhood by Beth Allison Barr. And she talks about this idea and a lot of, uh, thoughts that Paul has on gender and women and how that plays out and how we have really misconstrued what Paul is saying because we don't understand the, the way, the rhetorical way he's talking. So, Mm -hmm. I don't remember if she used this passage exactly, but there was one very similar, and I have heard this passage interpreted this way as well, Well, where Paul often starts out by listing the way that things are currently. So when he's talking Mm -hmm. about, this is the way women are. This is, you know, woman is the head of, woman, sorry, a dog. (laughs) There's a dog in my lap. (laughs) Our listeners can't see, but your dog is on your lap, literally licking your face as you try to give this very informative section um where paul is saying okay we're we're rome we're in rome and in rome the there's this idea that the man is the head of the house he literally has life life and death authority over women and slaves and other servants he is the ultimate authority and so you have this certain hierarchy but then paul flips the script and he says well no man is also from woman the same way woman Mm -hmm. is from man and so he has this whole like half section uh about talking about mutuality where uh maybe that was what actually what he was going toward is saying yeah this is how it is in rome right now this is how this is what everyone thinks this is what we consider the natural way of doing things but in christ there is no hierarchy we're all equal uh men are born from women this is Mm -hmm. there's it's circular it's not hierarchical and so that actually makes sense to me and so kind of at the end he ties it together like if there's like we're not going to dispute this like don't make this an issue because like maybe what you're saying jesus is coming back any day there's no hierarchy there's none of this but just you know get with the program and let's move past this idea almost so yeah that's how i personally view this passage now and seeing how Paul has written other things very similarly, where he lists, this is how things are, and then this is Jesus, mm. that actually makes a lot of sense to me. And we see it repeated. So if you're interested, Making a Biblical Womanhood by Beth Allison Barr, great book. Yeah. Very fascinating. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for diving into the woolly, wild world of head coverings. Who knew? Who knew this would be such a hot topic when you really dig into the passage? It is hot. (laughs) Modest is hottest. Never use that. No. No one. No one ever use that. (laughs) Anyway, as always, thank you so much for being here with me. I appreciate you so much. It is a highlight of my week whenever we get to record.
If this episode was meaningful to you, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash deconstructing the myth so that episodes like today's keep coming.